Welcome back to another episode of Reading for a Change, a podcast from Moody Publishers where we take an inside look at the books transforming our lives and shaping the world. I'm your host, Drew Dick, and I'm so excited to be joined today by Heather Holloman. Heather is a PhD uh, and uh, an author of numerous books, including Seated with Christ and Guarded by Christ. She teaches composition and advanced writing at Penn State. So I'm excited I have some writing questions for her. Uh, she also serves alongside her husband, Ashley, in graduate student ministry with Cruz Faculty Commons. And today I'm going to be talking to her about a book that she has co-authored with her husband, Ashley. Uh, the book is called Sent, Living a Life That Invites Others to Jesus. It comes out in August, and when I initially saw that, I thought, oh, August is like six months away, but it isn't, folks. It is a matter of weeks. Here we are in the middle of June, uh, and so if you you pre-order this, you'd receive it in a matter of weeks. Uh, Heather, welcome to the podcast. Oh, I'm so glad to be on your program. Thank you for having me. Oh, thanks for doing this, especially right now when there's so much going on, and I think that's a good place to start. We are as you know, as everyone knows, in a time of tremendous upheaval. We, we still have a global pandemic um, going on. And now in the wake of some awful high-profile police shootings, killings, uh, people have taken to the streets and are protesting. Uh, and there's even rioting going on. And we're having this reckoning with race that frankly is long overdue. But at the same time, uh, something that's kind of scary and, and hard to see is just the acrimony that you see online with people just at each other's throats. Um, my question for you, the topic of your book is sent basically about living a life and sharing your faith in Jesus with other people. In this time when people are so divided, so fearful, how can we do that? Well, the first thing is to just know how much the Lord desires unity. I've been praying so much about the spirit of unity. And when you read the book of Galatians, for example, you just see um, that really the fruit of the flesh, you see the division, you know, the rage, the anger. You know, when I was rereading Galatians, I thought, Lord, the beauty of come to know Christ is you are a rescuer and a reconciler. That's who you mm -hmm. are. And I love um, when I'm, when I'm, it, walking in the power of the Holy Spirit that I can go out in co any community I've been sent to. Um, and, and I really believe that where, if you're listening, wherever you are, God has supernatural, supernaturally placed you there, you know, to really be an agent of blessing and proclamation. And so it's really powerful to see your identity as sent. And then what I think in this time, you know, to be, to, to be someone that seeks the wisdom of the Lord and to ask the Holy Spirit, how do you want me, how do you want my family to move into places of blessing and reconciliation? So the first thing is prayer, to seek um, the wisdom of the Holy Spirit, and to know that because the heart of the Lord is to rescue and reconcile, you really have a message of reconciliation. I mean, that's what Paul mm. calls it in the book of Second Corinthians and that agent of reconciliation, that you're an ambassador. First, we reconcile ourselves to God. And when we are reconciled to God, He enables us to have fellowship with one another. So the message of the gospel is really the hope of reconciliation with God and with one another. So what a powerful time. And because people are in such fear and confusion, and there's so much anger and a lot of shame, I mean, we're talking about a mm. lot of 
emotions that are leading people to despair. Now is such a powerful time to move into the lives of people with a message of hope and healing and to really speak God's word over people. They are ready. They are listening. They are excited. I mean, we had neighbors over and we're just able to say, look, how can we pray for you? What is happening in your heart? How can we come to the Lord? And it's such an amazing time. People are really open. So it's such a time for revival. I get really excited about what the Lord could do in this time. That's awesome. And and that's so true about the gospel. It's ancient, obviously, and yet incredibly timely and relevant, especially right now, because that's exactly what we need is reconciliation. And the gospel is all about that. Um, I want to talk about the title of your book really quickly, Sent. And honestly, if I would see that word, especially in, in the church that I grew up in, I would just immediately think about missionaries. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah. Those people that are sent by God to go proclaim the gospel. Uh, I'll get behind them. I'll watch the the slideshow and the videos, maybe write a check. Uh, <laughs> right, right. But you're not talking about that, right? You're talking about everyday believers yes. and how we can live in a way that points people to Christ. So, so we can't just outsource this to the pros. Am I understanding that correct? Yes, and that was that was exactly you know how, what my husband and I were like. And you know, as I started to understand my identity as sent that this verb sent is really core to who we are, wherever we are. That's what really began um, me thinking about the title of this book and how I wanted to organize the core principle of of this book. If you read the book of John, the number one way Jesus describes the father is the father who sent me. And the way Jesus describes himself, how he understood his own identity is rooted in this word sent. So by the time you get to the end of the book of John, when Jesus says, as the father has sent me, so I am sending you, it just really gripped my heart. Like this is who I am. A missionary isn't, or evangelism isn't something I'm doing as much as who I am, the core of what it means um, to walk with Jesus. Because we teach on identity with Christ all the time, but sent is really an overlooked part of that. And that makes evangelism something that you're doing. It's a, it's about duty. It's often about guilt. It's often about something we have to do. But when you really see your identity as sent, so think about your family, think about your neighborhood, think about uh, your place of work. What, what would change if you really believed God supernaturally chose you to be there? And scripture teaches that. You can look at Acts 17 that God chooses the exact places where we live and to know that you're sent. And then to think about all the metaphors that God puts in scripture of your sent identity, that right there, you could be like a fisherman, a royal priest, an ambassador, a farmer. It's beautiful to think of the gospel and the New Testament as all about your sent identity. Hmm. Yeah, that's that's great uh, that it is a core part of who we are as followers of Christ. Um, and, and what I love that you, you emphasize is that this isn't some sort of, you know, obligation. It's a privilege and a joy. Um, and yet I, I feel like evangelism is, um, a source of guilt for a lot of us. I know it is for me. You know, you think back to opportunities you missed times. You kind of just frankly chickened out when it came to sharing your faith with people, um, and you know you should be doing it more. How do you advise people get past that if if it's been a topic that for them has been a source of guilt and shame? 
Well, the first thing is that the way our book begins is we really talk about how people live their lives based on whatever core principles, you know, govern their life. And what what made evangelism such an adventure for us and such a source of joy and intimacy with Jesus is the core principles that govern our life. There's only three of them. And here they are, that God is always at work to draw people to himself. That is what he's doing. If you think of, you know, Jesus in, in John 5, he says, you know, my father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. And we know that scripture teaches that God designed us to desire eternity. The Holy Spirit's always testifying about Jesus. And we know that Jesus came to seek and save the lost. So God is at work. The second principle is scripture teaches that for whatever reason, God didn't have to do it this way, but he chooses to use people to lead others to Jesus. And I started to look at verses like Acts 1-8, you know, the reason why we have the gift of the Holy Spirit, in addition to him being our comforter and advocate, is to become witnesses. It says we receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on us to be his witnesses. Now, as a grad student, just learning to walk closely with Jesus at the University of Michigan, I was getting my PhD and I was reading the New Testament and I was like, this is really weird. What God uses people. He uses us to spread the knowledge about Jesus. He's given us this you know, ministry we hear about in 2 Corinthians and that he chooses us to bear fruit for his kingdom. And I kept thinking, God, why, why are you doing this? Are you really doing this to me? And then I looked, um, the third principle is that he is continually inviting you into this adventure of evangelism. And I really began to trust my life, you know, align my life to these three principles. God, you're at work. You use people to lead others to Jesus for whatever reason. You could supernaturally, you know, do other things. You don't need to use people. But he's continually, every single new morning, inviting me into this adventure of evangelism. And it, it, it is based on, obviously, the commandment, the Great Commission in Matthew 28, but, you know, I looked at how Jesus draws the disciples. You know, he says, follow me. I will send you out to fish for people. Um, and he sends us on the same mission that he has to seek and save the lost. And I just got really excited about that as a grad student and, and to trust the Lord that he was doing that. And as a result, I moved into my life, my everyday encounters with people. And I thought, God, you are drawing people to yourself. You use me. You're inviting me to do this. And I would just open my mouth and talk about Jesus. And I began to see so many people respond to the gospel. And my intimacy with Jesus exploded. It was like, Lord, mm. we are doing this together every day. I woke up, I had a lit, you know, I made my, we encourage readers to make a list of at least five people in their life that don't know Jesus. And they begin to pray for them. And you're going to, if you do this, you're going to see supernatural things happen. I mean, so many times people say, Heather, you know, why do you and Ashley see so many people respond to the gospel, but they also say, why are you so full of the joy of the Lord? What is, what is going on in your life? Why do you love Jesus like you do? And one of the answers is, well, it's because we're on a, an adventure with him every day to seek and save the lost. We're doing what Jesus is doing with him. And so it makes faith just really exciting. And we get to see some incredible things when you begin to do this. And the book is really practical. It's not like you have to be super smart or an apologist or it, we just we just give really practical skills, you know, gather your neighbors together. Here are some questions you can ask them. Here are seven ways you can pray for them. Here's the next step you can take with them. And I really think it's going to make people really excited about Jesus again. That's awesome uh, and really helpful, especially those um, principles as you laid them out. And then there's this shift from 
this is like a checklist. Okay, I have to do this as part of being a Christian, even if I don't want to, to seeing it as something that is about um, an adventure, something that's exciting and that can that can kindle your own faith and joy in your walk with Christ. That's that's amazing. Um, I feel like with with younger people, um, and I'm on the wrong side of 40 now, so they all seem uh, younger all the time. Uh, there's some serious baggage when it comes to discussing Christianity um, and certainly the church. They don't usually come to the question of God in a completely neutral way. Um, you're in contact with young people constantly working on a college campus. What are some of the biggest objections you encounter uh, when talking to young people about your faith and how do you overcome those? Well, honestly, I don't often get in arguments with people. I mean, I think that's what's different mm. about our book sent. One of the ways we advise people and what I've experienced in my own life is the the kinds of questions we ask and the kinds of stories we tell move people from reactive arguments about Jesus into a real encounter with him. Remember, you know, the woman at the well wanted to engage in controversy. She was like, uh, you know, are you a prophet? We've heard this. Where are we supposed to worship? I mean, she had all these questions, but really Jesus didn't engage those. He went straight to the heart. And so I would say, I mean, I haven't done, I mean, I've read Barna and Pew and all the research studies, but I think a lot of young people don't know how to reconcile their faith with um, maybe passages in the Old Testament is a real barrier there. You know, I know people who've mm. argued about, you know, how do you deal with the violence of the Old Testament? Or what do you think about, um, you know, gender or even the racial reconciliation issue um, can be an issue when people are looking at Christians that maybe aren't um, being loving, or maybe they're not standing for the things that they want to. But what we have found is that when you tell your own personal story of transformation, how Jesus rescued you, how Jesus has used his word in your life, we have found that people are so open. They want to hear. They want to hear about a living Savior. They don't want to be in the realm of argument anymore. They want to meet Jesus and see their mm. lives transformed. So the other, the other thing I'd encourage listeners, um, you know, there is a powerful metaphor in the New Testament that Paul uses, and it's that we're an ambassador. This mm. helps me when I encounter argument. So if I'm in the English department or talking with students, I remember that the ambassador doesn't share her own opinion. An ambassador just delivers the message from the sending country, you know, the sending king. So yes. when I'm in like a political controversy, I say, look, this is what scripture has said. This is my encounter with it. This is what the Holy Spirit did. What do you guys think about this story I'm going to tell of transformation? And it's not really like me engaging in, in, in debate. It's more, I'm just telling you what the word has said, and this is my encounter with it. Let's talk about it. So, um, mm. That's a question that also changes. I mean, I think young people are actually coming back. I mean, I don't know. I'm in a different community. I'm in um, a college town. And so a lot of those research studies that seem so discouraging, like everyone's leaving their faith, nobody wants to talk about Jesus. I don't find that's true at all. And I just want to encourage your listeners, sometimes when I use spiritual language, like at the end of my course, I'll often say, um, I would like to pray a blessing over you. Um, wow. because, you know, I'm a Christian and, you know, one of the metaphors is me being a royal priest from first, uh, Peter two, nine, I'll ask my students if I can pray a blessing over them and they'll start to cry. And my Jewish students will say yes, because they're used to that culture of blessing. And, you know, students are longing 
for for adults in particular to go back to the ancient pathways. How do we know Jesus? What help me understand who he is? And some of those harder issues, I think, fall away when you're really dealing with God's word and, and who Jesus is and the rescue he's offering their soul. Yes. No, I, I believe that that's been my experience, too, that there's a real spiritual hunger there. Sure, there are intellectual objections and hangups. But I think so often we do make the mistake of just getting stuck at the level of kind of the, um, the responding to objections, doing apologetics as important as they are, right? Uh, but Absolutely. often those, those can be yes. smoke screens. And yeah, when you start to tell your story, that's, it sounds like that's been really disarming in the interactions you've yes. had. And just, you know, the people that have come to faith, um, say, maybe out of a Hindu background or people that I've led to faith that maybe are struggling, you know, with gender identity issues or anything like that. I just want to encourage your listeners, you actually don't have to have all the answers. That's what's so beautiful. You can say, I don't know how to talk about this. Let's let's listen to this podcast or let's read this book together. You do not have to be afraid. God, the God of the universe can handle objections. He's not up in heaven <laughs> wringing his hands that nobody's going to find an answer. I mean, when I was in grad school, um, I had the opportunity of having dinner with Ravi Zacharias that my ministry directors invited me to have a conversation with him because we couldn't answer all of my questions. So we needed to find someone that could. You don't have to know everything. You can come knowing your story, knowing a simple message of the gospel and let the Holy Spirit begin to work. And that's why the body of Christ is so beautiful. There are apologists. There's wonderful people working in all of these areas that you can just direct um, people in your life to those resources. And so not to be afraid of evangelism because you don't know all the answers. That's a good word. Thank you. Um, and, and speaking of the conversations that you've had with people, I'm wondering if you can, and obviously I understand their price sensitivities here. You may not be able to use names or anything like that, but I'm wondering if you could let us know about some of the conversations you've had with people that are not believers who have come to faith. Well, yes. And what I love about this conversation is really I have four questions. I call them the four best questions that have pretty that, it, that have always led to significant spiritual conversations and someone and or someone praying to receive Christ. And the first question is just with a new neighbor. Um, it's my favorite question. So if you're taking notes, open your journal, write this down. Here's my, my favorite right here. question to ask people. <laughs> you can tell I'm a professor. I'm like, are you listening? Are you taking notes? <laughs> I just asked my neighbor one day, you know, what do you know, you know, I'm a Christian. What does your tradition say about Jesus? Hmm. What does your tradition say about Jesus? And she said that single question, you know, I get tears in my eyes. That single question sent her home. She went through all of her, all of her spiritual books, all of her gurus, all of her practices. And she said, what, what, who is Jesus? What does my tradition say about Jesus? And then, you know, we would study the book of John together. We, we would, I would tell her about my tradition and she would say, you know, can we still be friends if you worship Jesus, but I worship my, um, my particular, uh, person. I don't want to reveal too much of her privacy, but she, you know, she was in a tradition that, that worshiped a different a different kind of deity, I guess you'd say. And I said, yes, we can be friends. But I knew, I knew that when she encountered Jesus in the book of John, she would realize that he was the one true God. And this is, this mm. is where salvation would come. And she was amazed that he's the only God that offers to forgive sin. She couldn't believe it. No wow. other 
religious tradition was offering her that the second thing she couldn't believe was that it was free. She didn't have to pay money to an organization. She had given thousands, if not hundreds of thousands away to different organizations promising her Mm. healing and life. And so when she prayed to receive Christ, it was such a dramatic change that actually she is now a force to be reckoned with in the, in the Christian world. She has a (laughs) huge ministry. She led her husband and two children to faith. Um, You know, they were the children, they were, her, her husband was baptized the same day my daughter was, it was really precious. But that's my first question is, um, you know, Hey, I'm a Christian. What does your tradition say about Jesus? And then they get to tell their story. And often they'll say, well, tell me what, you know, why did you become a Christian? Tell me your story. Um, The second question I ask is, um, do you consider yourself on a spiritual journey now? Mm. And I say, you know, what, what is that like? Where are you on that journey? Sometimes if I'm with someone and they're in distress or they're dealing with a really difficult, if I'm in a really difficult conversation, and, and that could be anything. So imagine whatever you're talking about. I'll pause and I'll say, you know, this sounds like a spiritual issue. Do you consider yourself on a spiritual journey? And what has that been like? I will have people burst into tears. I'll have them talk about the time their grandma took them to church camp when they were 12 years old, but they haven't thought about Jesus or the Bible in 30 years and they will Mm. weep. They will cry. Now, my favorite metaphor in the New Testament is that we're fishermen when Jesus says, follow me, I will make you fish for people. A fisherman uses spiritual language. They cast bait to see if someone will take their bait in conversation. When, when you ask if someone's on a spiritual journey, if they're, if they're, you know, eyes well up in tears, or if they move towards you and they want to talk about this, God is at work. They, you, you're mm-hmm. fishing and they are coming to you. Um, the third question is, um, and I don't know why this works so well. It's easy. And if you're listening and you're like, I just, I I want an easy way to engage my neighbors. You know, everyone on my, in my neighborhood and in my classroom, they know I keep a very detailed prayer journal. I I live my life by, um, you know, when David says in Psalm five, three in the morning, Oh Lord, you hear my voice in the morning. I lay my requests before you and wait in expectation that's like a verse in my life. Every morning, you know, I unburden myself. I ask the Lord for the needs of the day. Then I wait in expectation. Well, word has spread about my little prayer, you know, my prayer (laughs) ritual every morning. And I'll say to colleagues, I'll say, you know, I'm in a fresh season of prayer. Um, Do you, do you have any prayer requests I could commit to praying for? And then we can see, you know, how the Lord moves on our behalf. Well, nobody has ever said no. Mm-hmm. to my offer of prayer. And often unbelievers who overhear me say that, they will say, um, you know, I'm not a Christian, but can you add me to your prayer list? You know, during COVID-19, wow. when we had to move to um, online teaching, I was asking my students, you know, how are you guys handling this? What are some practices you're putting in place to deal with your fears and anxieties? And I just shared with them, you know, I have my my spiritual practices, I told them I'm reading my Bible, I'm keeping my prayer journal about, about daily things. Well, after class, my student, I won't tell you his name, but he goes, Dr. H, you know, I don't believe any of this stuff. I'm like an atheist, but you got to add me. You got to add me to that prayer journal. Here's what I need. You know, they're just so open. So, um, and the last thing, is, yeah. the last question is, um, can I tell you something I'm learning in the Bible that's really helping me deal with mm whatever, COVID-19, um, racial reconciliation. So sorry, I know that was me talking longer than you wanted, but those are no. called the four best questions. And they're in chapter eight of my book. And it's called the easiest questions to ask. 
No, I love that. And I, I love just, just talking to you. I'm getting pumped up and excited. And this advice has been so practical too. That's, that's the beautiful thing. You don't need to reinvent the wheel here. Just taking those questions. And I can see already how disarming um, they are and how they could just provoke some really fruitful conversation uh, and deepen your relationship with people too. Uh, thank you so much. If you, I just want to say to our listeners, if you've been enjoying this conversation, I want to encourage you to head over to moodypublishers.com right now and grab a copy of Heather and Ashley's book. It's called Scent. Uh, it is 20% off right now uh, if you pre-order. And she's a great writer. And this book has such an important message. Um, so I want to encourage you to grab a copy. Again, that's moodypublishers.com and you'll receive 20% discount right now. Well, Heather, like I warned you, we have a couple of segments that we're doing this season. Um, one is called The Writing Life, uh, and this is where we ask authors sometimes about their writing process or their experience of being an author. Um, with you, you know, in addition to being a very prolific, um, skilled writer, you teach the subject at the college level. Um, and I'm sure it's impossible to sort of condense all the, all the advice and instruction that you give to your students. But I'm wondering if there's like one or two pieces of advice that you might have for aspiring authors out there. Okay, here are my two best pieces of advice for you. And you can tell this is one of my favorite things to talk about. Number one, <laughs> fall in love with grammar. Fall mm. in love with grammar. Here's why. If you develop a unique and authentic written voice, you will be irresistible to agents and publishers. Most people do not know how to modulate their written voice and writing and how you do that. It's the sum of stylistic choices you're making, but there's a psychology to grammar. I mean, I could go on. You got to have me on another podcast, Drew. The <laughs> psychology <love> <laughs> of grammar, knowing how to use the colon, the dashes, the parentheses to create a moment of intimacy with the reader you can do so much with that short, that powerful three to five word sentences. I, sentence. I spend a lot of time helping students develop a written voice, especially in voiceless documents like the resume and cover letter, you know, for mm. professional materials. So develop your written voice. Number two, um, the, the best questions you can ask yourself before preparing a proposal for an agent are these. Why this? Why now? Why me? Why this project? Why? Why now? Why is now the most important time I can write this? And then why me? Why are you the best person to write this? And this works really well for nonfiction when you're trying to figure out, you know, why this, why now, why me? That's the best thing. My best advice for a fiction writer, and this is what I teach my students, you need to master the art of mystery and tension. The number one reason why I think books aren't picked up, at least for fiction writers, is they don't know how to bait the reader with mystery and tension. You have to master the unanswered question and you have to master not revealing too much and bringing the reader along. Most people overpopulate their texts, they give too much away, and they also over-decorate their texts. They're giving too much sensory detail. Pare everything down, master the art of the unanswered question on every page, and you will be a success. That is great advice. Um, and yeah, I, and it's a little geeky, but man, falling in love with grammar. 
I'm with you. That's great. Maybe that should be my next book, Drew. Falling in love with grammar. That's a good book right there. We'll do it. (laughs) I bought a book uh, a few years back called The Glamour of Grammar, and I've never felt more geeky, but uh, I did enjoy it. Um, Oh, I read grammar books for fun. I might need to get that book, The Glamour of Grammar. Oh, I love that. The Glamour of Grammar. And what a title, right? (laughs) Love it. That's awesome. Um, Okay. So the other question that we're asking people, uh, and it is such a difficult season where even if you're not someone who's been getting sick or directly affected by COVID, um, it's disrupted all of our routines, uh, changed life uh, in some ways that have been really challenging. And so I've been asking people, what is your guilty pleasure during this season? And it can really be anything. I love that. I don't know if it's a guilty pleasure because usually guilty pleasure means I'm also a little embarrassed about it, but I'm not really, well, maybe I'm embarrassed about it. The first is I planted a garden, which I've has brought me so much joy. So I'm officially a gardener and I guess that makes me old. I don't know, but plant something <laughs> that makes, that brings so much joy just to watch things grow. But the second thing is I have teen daughters. So every night we pop a big bowl of popcorn and yes, I will watch America's Got Talent, World of Dance, you know, whatever's on. So <laughs> I watch all those shows with my girls, you know, the office, whatever we watch documentaries pretty much every night. We're watching TV together and eating popcorn, and it's a really precious time. Um, One of the blessings of being with them at home during COVID-19 was just being together as a family. That's great. I love it. Um, And um, my family, this has been our foray into gardening as well. Uh, And it is exciting. Especially, We have young kids to see the first strawberries that just came up and the radishes and uh, even get to use some of it in a salad. So it's kind of been like a learning thing too. This is where we also got some chickens and that's been, those chickens have been a tool in, in my sanctification because uh, yes. <laughs> they're well, noisy. What are, you using, <laughs> what are you using to keep the berry, the the little critters off your berries and the birds? Like, I have one tip, but I don't Give know. Give it to what- me. Yeah. Cause that we've noticed that like one strawberry, you know, got, got eaten up and we don't know, you know, if it's a bug or a rabbit well, or what, but give me your tip. The new thing we're trying is called scare tape. You can order it on Amazon. It's just strips of metallic looking shimmery, almost like streamers. You hang them or put them on the ground. And when they blow a little bit in the wind, both birds and rodents think they look like snakes. And so they don't come near the berries. Apparently, so far so good. My blackberries have not been eaten yet. We'll see what happens with the raspberries. But we have about four strips of scare tape that we put on the fence and it does keep the birds away. That is awesome. I'm going to put in an Amazon order today and it's, it's <laughs> and much- I'll order the grammar book. <laughs> this has been great. Go. We need to do this more. <laughs> Absolutely. And you're right. We could do a whole episode on grammar. Um, that's awesome. Well, I, and the time has absolutely flown by. I've enjoyed this immensely. Thank you so much, Heather, for coming on the podcast. Uh, I, I learned a lot from this conversation. Um, and I want to, again, encourage listeners to go to moodypublishers.com or amazon.com or wherever you get your books and, and get a, a copy of Scent. Um, and thank you for this reminder. I mean, just to remind us that we are all Scent. We don't have to sit around wondering uh, if this is something that we uh, need to be doing. If we're followers of Jesus, we're invited and called to be out there living out our faith and telling people about Jesus. And it's not a dreaded duty. It's a joy and a privilege. So Heather, again, thank you for reminding of us of that and equipping us with those great questions, especially to do it. Listeners, if you enjoyed this episode, 
If you're enjoying this podcast, I want to encourage you to please leave a review on Apple or Google Podcasts. I always feel a little awkward asking for that. Um, it's kind of like that clip, uh, I don't know if you've seen online, of Jeb Bush giving a political speech and he stops in the middle and he says, please clap. <laughs> but that's what, I'm, that's what I feel like. Oh, I'm no, doing. people like to give reviews. I love, yes, everyone, give a review. This is so fun. Give a great review. Please, yes, listen to Heather or even a rating. I'll even settle for that. You know, you just got to kind of put your finger over the, the mouse and, and click on the, the five star. Uh, <laughs> but uh, that helps us out a ton just because it enables other uh, potential listeners to encounter it. Uh, so thank you again for listening. Stay safe. Remember that you are sent. And until next time, keep reading. <laughs>